God our Father and from our Lord Jesus, dear friends. Part of God's Word that we'll give our attention to today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. The Apostle John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor, power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of our Lord. Usually, we don't want to know how it all ends. For example, maybe you're taping the Bucks game or the Packers game to watch it a little bit later. Well, I don't know why you'd much bother with the latter of those two. But let's just say, for the sake of example, that you are. You probably don't turn on the radio if you're in your car. You're careful not to look at the sports app on your phone. If you're talking with somebody, you might warn them a little bit and kind of tell them not to ruin it for you. The back and forth of any given game is not nearly as exciting if you already know the final score. Usually we don't want to know how it all ends. Or maybe you're waiting for a movie to come out on Netflix, but your friend has already seen it in the theater. Or maybe somebody recommends a good book for you to read. You'd probably be fine if they told you a little bit about the plot line. But again, you don't want them to spoil it for you. All of the twists and turns along the way in every story are not nearly as engaging if you know how everything is brought to resolution in the end. Usually, we don't want to know how it all ends. Usually. But not always. As the Apostle John received these visions that he recorded in the book of Revelation, many of them focused on the trials and difficulties that God's people experienced during their life here on earth. But mixed in with them, were also some glimpses of the final outcome. And rather than spoiling it for us, 
God gives us these things in order to encourage us and to carry us through the difficult times in our lives. These verses from Revelation 7 that we're going to be studying this morning, we really get a look at the last chapter, our eternal life in heaven, where the Lamb will be our shepherd. The Lamb of God, who humbly suffered and died in order to take away our sins, is now presented as the glorious shepherd who will lead and love his people forever. And the church militant, struggling through life in a fallen world, is now presented as the church triumphant, reveling in the victory that Jesus has won for us. In the worst of life's trials, it's good to know how it all ends. And so today we see that this time in between, Jesus' first coming and his second coming, is a time for us as his people to focus on future glory. John begins, he says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Well, who is this group? First of all, we recognize that it's a very diverse group from every nation, tribe, language, and people, John says. It confirms for us one of those Bible passages that we know so well. God so loved the world. There is no special group or special class of people from which God calls His own. No, Jesus came for all people. The Gospel was to be proclaimed for all nations. The Holy Spirit is at work wherever that good news of Jesus is being shared and He's bringing more people into the family of God. The fact that nobody could count this great multitude in heaven reminds us of some of the promises that God had made to Abraham. Speaking of his spiritual descendants, God told Abraham that they would be as countless as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. God told Abraham that through one of his offspring, the promised Savior, all peoples of the earth would be blessed. And so in this vision, John is really seeing the ultimate fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham. When his people from every place and every generation are gathered around that throne in heaven. Just a little later in the vision, we learn some more about these people. John is asked, where do they all come from? And then he's given the answer. He's told, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. What does that mean exactly? The Bible tells us that as the world nears its end, both things and people are going to grow worse and worse. Now this great tribulation doesn't refer to just a short period of time right at the very end of all things. Rather, it refers to the whole period of time from Jesus' ascension into heaven until His return on the last day. And so really, this great tribulation refers to life in sinful and fallen world. That means that things like war and terrorism, natural disasters and man-made catastrophes are going to continue. 
sickness and heartache, pain and suffering are going to be part and parcel of our lives in this world. That's because sin has ruined what God in the beginning created to be very good. In fact, God's Word tells us that sin itself is going to continue and increase as we move near the end. It tells us that the love of most is going to grow cold in this world. As God's people, we're not going to avoid that. I mean, this great multitude that John sees in heaven, they have come out of the great tribulation, and so what that means is just previously, they had been in the thick of it. As long as we're in this world, we're still going to be battling against sin. We're still going to be struggling with our sinful nature. What the Apostle Paul once confessed, all of us as God's people can certainly relate to. He said, the good I want to do, I do not. But the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. We know God's demands for us. And yet we so often have our own agendas in life that seem more compelling to us. We know what God wants from us as His people, and yet we so often chase after our own desires that we think are going to be more fulfilling. And so it shows us that the reason our life is going to be a great tribulation is not just because of the sin that surrounds us in this world, but also because of the sin that's at work within us too. Why the church here on earth is called the church militant. Because we are still fighting. We are still struggling. We are still weak and wounded. But in this vision, John sees the end of it all. He doesn't just see this great multitude who has come out of the great tribulation. He's watching as this great multitude is coming out of the great tribulation, as one after another, at just the time God determined, is brought out of this world through death and safely home to eternal life. This great multitude gathered in heaven is now dressed in robes of white. We're told they've washed their robes and made them white, the blood of the Lamb. It wasn't their own doing. It was God's gift to them. The sin that troubles God's people, the sins into which we fall so often, are washed completely away by the blood of God's Son. Through faith in Jesus, God has already declared His people holy in His sight and heirs of eternal life, even as we're still in the heat of the battle here on earth. But now what John sees, he sees God's people who already have this declaration now receiving in full Exactly what God had promised them. The sinful natures that cling so tightly to us right now are removed forever. The sin and guilt that burdens us day after day in this world is remembered no more. All of the painful consequences of sin, the shameful things that we struggle with, never to be seen again. God's new creation. In John's vision, the church militant has now become the church triumph. They're holding palm branches in their hands, symbolizing the victory that they now share with Jesus. So in this vision, 
God shows his people the last chapter. We see how it all ends as God's people are gathered there around that throne in heaven. We know who those people are. God's people sitting here today. John sees them many years down the road, or maybe not so many years down the road, safely home at Jesus' side. And so now what are they doing there? Well, verse 10 tells us that they're praising God. They're saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You notice the recognition that this great multitude has in their worship. All credit, all glory belongs to God. Salvation comes from Him and from Him alone. There is no thought on their part that they've somehow earned this place around God's throne in heaven. No thought that they're somehow receiving the just reward for their labor in God's kingdom here on earth. No, this multitude in heaven is enjoying a gift. Something that rightly belongs to God, but something that He has shared with us. Pure grace. So they worship. They praise their God and the Lamb. And we should take note of that. Because our worship now is really to be a preview of the worship that we will offer then. Can you imagine any in that great multitude gathered around God's throne in heaven, casually going through the motions of worship? Can you imagine any of them kind of drifting off and thinking of some place that they'd rather be than right there around God's throne? When our worship in this life is suffering, when it's not what it should be, let's remember what it's going to look like around that throne in heaven. And let's remember especially why that great multitude is worshiping God the way that they are. It's the same reason that we have. Because salvation belongs to our God, and yet He has given it to us. And so that great multitude in heaven will be forever devoted to worship. In addition to that, though, they are also enjoying the tremendous blessings that God has promised His people. Those blessings are summed up in this section with ten statements. John records, Therefore they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That number 10 is often used as a number of completion in the book of Revelation. And so the message here is that God's blessings for His people in heaven mean the complete release from all the evil of this world and complete joy in God's presence forever. The first three statements that John records here really speak to the close relationship that we will have with God in heaven and that fact that we will see Him face to face. Right now we live by faith. We know that God is with us always according to His promise, but we don't see Him. But when we get there, we'll live by sight. 
God's presence among us will be gloriously clear. Close. The next four statements, they speak about our freedom from all of the evil effects of sin in this world. Everything that makes life a burden and difficult right now will be removed forever from God's new creation. The final three statements, they really speak about the tender care that our Savior will provide for us when we get to His side in heaven. Right now we call Him our Good Shepherd, and rightly so, and He will continue to function in that way for us for all eternity. That living water that Jesus once offered at a well in Samaria, that's going to be regular fare for us as God's people in eternal life. Just like a mother does for her child, her good shepherd will one day wipe every tear from the eyes of his people and erase every sorrow from our heart. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd forever and ever. That's how it all ends. That's the last chapter. And of course, the best thing of all is that we know that this is the one chapter for God's people that will never end. And I pray you see that. That this vision is given for you and for me. Yes, right now we are in the thick of that great tribulation, but our Good Shepherd, He'll lead us out at just the right time. By God's grace, we're already counted among that great multitude in heaven with white robes washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, singing our praises and enjoying God's eternal blessing. I pray this vision gives you comfort in difficult times and inspires your whole life of service to God. When in life you find yourself confused and distracted, let this glimpse of your future glory help to focus you on what matters most and lift your perspective beyond the short time that we have in this world. As you go about your lives as God's people, serving Him at home and at work and here at church, let this glimpse of future glory give you the determination and, de and dedication in your service that our God is worthy of. Salvation belongs to our God, but He has given it to us. So this time in between Jesus' first coming and His second coming, the time for us as God's people to focus on future glory. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.